Fortunately, because Armageddon would have made it impossible for us to make smart dribble. I got served an ad, and I don't know what this says about me. One of the things that they blew big time. They foresaw esports, Which today is basically a meat sack. Did you say meat sack? I actually think, and here's a prediction. You know that abode is an anagram for Adobe? So we're going to start the revolution right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smart Drivel Podcast coming right into your ears. We are the home for drivel and the house for smart. John, what are we talking about today? We do pride ourselves on promising the drivel and hoping for the smart. So we'll make another effort at it today. As is our custom, Kurt, typically an offhand remark in one episode leads to a future episode topic. And at the tail end of last week's episode, we talked about possibly doing a retrospective on the Jetsons. And whether you are old enough to know the Jetsons or not, we'll talk about what it is in a moment. It is a basic human need to wonder what the future is going to be like. And creative types, whether you're a writer, an actor, a TV show producer, those folks put a stake in the ground. They do the thinking, they do the imagining, and they paint a picture of what the future is going to be like. We've seen dystopian futures like Handmaid's Tale or 1984. Mad Max. Right. And we've also seen... The Road by Cormac McCarthy. And we've also seen more hopeful looks at the future like the Jetsons. But what this is really about is not whether the Jetsons got it right or not, but it's about people imagining what the future is going to look like. And the Jetsons is a perfect vehicle to do that. The funny thing about the Jetsons, it was done in 1962, I think only one season, John. That's right. Uh, And we, like a lot of these classic shows, we, people born in the mid-60s, saw it in reruns in the 70s. There wasn't a lot of choice. And we saw a lot of them. Or I thought there was many, many seasons. There was one. But really what I thought was very interesting is Hanna-Barbera, who did it. It came about one or two or maybe three years after another animated show worked for them, The Flintstones. That's right. It was basically the exact same show, but in the future, (laughs) but The Flintstones was in the past. Right. But we didn't know what life was like in prehistoric times. So they, they gave us their version of what it might look like. And you're absolutely right. They flipped that coin and they anticipated what the future would look like. So you're right. 1962. So the Jetsons imagined what life was going to be like 100 years later in 2062. It was the first show that was shown in color on ABC back in 1962. Hmm. And you're right, it only lasted for one season, 24 episodes, although it really caught on after the show had been canceled when it was moved to a Saturday morning cartoon show. And that's really where it became very famous. The block, the cartoon blocks. We all grew up, at least people of our generation grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons, and the Jetsons was among my favorite. It's the story of a, of a family of four, a mother, father, son, and daughter, and robot named Rosie, who live in 2062. And let's talk about... And dog Astro. Terribly sorry for leaving out Astro, who self-described as Rastro. In any event, let's talk about what they got right and what they got wrong about life in 2062. 
So it's now been 60 years almost. So we have a pretty good view of what's been accomplished and what we're on track to accomplish. So I think they got a lot right, which is amazing, and a lot right in a very quick amount of time. I think the biggest thing that got right, and this is a Uber category because there's a lot of things underneath it, but is automation, right? They presaged automation in a lot of different things. and Particularly uh, home automation, yeah. But I think the biggest thing that they've got right, and it's kind of a bad, I think, right? I'm going to go out on a limb saying it's not great on society, a bad, a bad choice on society is we've become a push-button society. Did you and, make up that term, Kurt, a push-button society? Yes. I think we're more of a touchscreen society, but I see your point. But we're pushing the touchscreen. That's what the Jetsons did. Yeah, we expect to press a button or touch a button and a bunch of things happen. They correctly anticipated that. But what's interesting, I mean, put yourself in the writer's room in 1962, Kurt. That's 60 years ago. How much of that stuff do you think was obvious to people in the early 60s? And how much of it was them just... Yeah. Look, by the way, the guy who really was at the forefront of predicting the future was Leonardo da Vinci, right? He spent most of his time talking about helicopters and airplanes and all these other things that he was 600, 700, 500 years ahead of himself. Yeah, that's what blows my mind about all of these things. I mean, there are some people who are able to extrapolate little things that have happened, things that are expected to happen, trends, whatever. And it's just the product of an imagination. And they're able to correctly predict things that are going to happen in the long-term future. And I know that I have deep respect and admiration and even awe for people who can conjure up something between their ears and then figure out how to manifest that in the world, in the real world, in 3D. So we have all these futurists, right, that, that sit there and they come up with all these different things. That became, I guess, in the, in the early 20th century, the futurists, when they, they started talking about them, which I just thought was interesting that these guys then made a living of saying, this is what things are going to be. I'd like to be that. That's a nice job to have. It's a great job to be a futurist because you can say really interesting things. Because I do believe we have an insatiable appetite to understand what's going to happen next, what's going to happen in the future. And if you predict the future decades out, by the time that future arrives, no one remembers what you said. So there's no accountability. You're basically a creative writer under the rubric of being a futurist. So it is a really good job, Kurt. Perhaps we should become futurists. Well, the guy who was one of the most famous had the greatest name, which is probably why he became a futurist. Buckminster Fuller. (laughs) What were some of Buckminster Fuller's big prognostications about the future? Architecture and just how cities were built and high rises and things like that. I think he was an architect by by trade. Would you consider Nostradamus a futurist? Yes. What did he do? Well, some things apparently did great, but I guess the Mayans got 2012 wrong, thankfully. Fortunately, because Armageddon would have made it impossible for us to make smart dribble. Would have sucked may not have mattered that much, but let's talk about some of the things that were in the Jetsons' home and life Yeah, that 60 years later, these guys got right. So there was a treadmill that they actually used to walk the dog because they lived in a high rise, but so many homes today have some version of a treadmill in it for exercise. They definitely got that right. And there's treadmills for dogs now. And there are treadmills for dogs. Jane, the wife, 
So they had George and Jane and Judy and Elroy were the kids. And you mentioned Astro and they had a robot named Rosie. Jane, when she would go shopping for a new dress, they would drop down this dress selector and she could literally see what she would look like wearing different dresses. So we certainly had that on a bunch of websites. And, you know, you go to Warby Parker and you can see what you look like in the glasses. So they got that right. But what they got wrong on that was gender roles. Whoever wrote this, she sits there in the opening. If you look at it, he holds out his wallet and she a dollar for her. He, she takes the whole wallet and goes shopping. She's definitely the stay-at-home mom, and he's the autocrat father. And it's certainly, I think the gender roles, they did not get that right, nor did they get our cashless society right. They're still paying in cash in 2016. That's a very good point. I think what they did, which is interesting, is the, the basic structure of the show is your traditional sitcom, family sitcom. And then they just projected it in the future, probably like they did going backwards with the Flintstones. But you're right, they got gender roles. One of the things that they blew big time which was a very popular theme among futurists back in the 60s, is there was an expectation that all of this coming automation would do our work for us, and we would be a future society of leisure with a much shortened workday. So George worked a three-hour workday. He had to be at work at 11 o'clock in the morning. I don't think that's happened. In fact, the opposite has happened. With all of this connectivity and automation, expectations are only higher for our accessibility and our productivity. But there is a ton of fear that there'll be a lot of jobs currently done by hourly employees that will be wiped out by automation right now. Well, I don't think there's any question that certain jobs are going to get automated and humans, this is not the first time this has happened, humans are going to have to focus on a different set of jobs that automation can handle that humans can. It's very difficult for automation to be empathetic to another human. But if you were to be a guidance counselor or a therapist of some kind, that seems like a tough one to automate. So I think we're going to have a shift in what our jobs are, just like we've seen before. I mean, there aren't that many elevator operators these days either. I was watching, I got served an ad, and I don't know what this says about me, for this new exercise contraption which you stand on it and it just vibrates. And the big thing is you don't have to really exercise or go run. It just vibrates and gets your muscles going strong. That has not changed. Someone did guess that when they used to have that belt in the 1890s that went around you and vibrated forever. And then, of course, we had that, that weight that vibrated as well, like you did biceps with it, and that was supposed to stimulate the muscle. So what's amazing is we're constantly seeking ways so that we don't have to do anything. Or in theory, we have more choice over how we spend our time. But that appears to only be a theory. One thing the Flintstones, Flintstones, listen to me, the Jetsons really got right. By the way, one of the episodes was a, I think, didn't they have an episode where the Flintstones met the Jetsons? I'd like to re-see that. I, see I think when any show is in trouble, they start to do those kinds of crossover <laughs> right. episodes. I'm surprised that Gilligan's Island didn't show up on the Jetsons at some point. I'm surprised George didn't jump a shark in his jet ski or whatever. Well, they only had 24 episodes. They didn't have a chance to get creatively stale yet. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. But one thing they did get right, they foresaw esports. I remember an episode hmm. where George and his boss, Mr. Spacely, went to a football game in a stadium, but they went to a game and they were a bunch of robots. That's amazing. On the field being controlled by two guys pushing buttons and moving levers. 
And it was basically esports, and the place was packed, just like arenas are now for for esports. And they were watching these guys move things, and then what they would do with the robots. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't remember that episode, but that's a good observation. I mean, I didn't anticipate esports ten years ago. No, these guys had some concept of it at least all those years ago, sixty years ago. Do you know those pneumatic tubes at the bank where you put your you, you put your deposit into the little canister and it shoots through the tube to the top. That was a big part of how people transported themselves in the Jetson society. And while we are not yet putting ourselves in pneumatic tubes to shoot around from place to place, if you look at what Elon Musk has talked about doing with the boring company and these hyperloops, it's basically a system of tubes that allow us to move around much faster. So that may happen by 2062. Well, they certainly got video calling, right? I oh, my mean, they, God, yes. They got FaceTime and Skype and all that way before it and Zoom. <laughs> yeah. They also have smart watches where you have video on your watch. And they also had, they had reading the newspaper on a screen on a big tablet like a television. So they got all, they got flat screens, right? It's just amazing how much they got right. So if you and I were to sit here and anticipate yeah. life, a hundred years from now, so it's twenty one twenty one. Cool number. What kind of things do you think we would come up with? By the way, there's a song in the year twenty five twenty five. We got a ways to go. Wasn't Buck Rogers like in the twenty fifth century? Uh, probably, yeah. But then again, the twenty five twenty five is not in the twenty fifth century, even though it sounds like it ought to be, right? Well, it's in the twenty sixth century. So, are we making our prognostications now? I don't know. It just I'm trying to put myself in their position in the early 60s, writing this thing. And they got so much stuff right that it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, the cell phone and everyone having a home computer and a concept of the internet. They even had EKGs and MRIs that they could administer at home. So remote medicine. It's just, it's such a feat of imagination to be right about so many things like that. It's hard to imagine that, of course, we won't be around in 100 years. So there is no accountability back to that thought. But what are some of the things we think will be the case in 2121? Well, I think there's a couple of ways we can go right now because we are becoming so automated. I actually think, and here's a prediction, that there's going to be a bit of a backlash. And I think we were going down this route with food, processed food, more processed, processed, smaller. And remember the Jetsons, I think you got it all in one pill. You pushed a button and that was your whole meal in a 3D printed food. We do have 3D printed food now. Yeah. I think there's going to be a backlash and we're going to go more like we have been farm to table and the idea of taking the time to actually cook instead of pushing a button. For nostalgic reasons, I hope you're right. I suspect you're not because there's an expression that, you know, software eating the world, it's just a bigger force than that. So and you're talking about a future with synthetic biology. You're talking about a future of nanotechnology. There's no reason that in 2121 and frankly, well before, that we're not going to have nanosensors floating around in our bloodstream, collecting information about our body, having quantum computers making sense of that information and telling us things that are going to happen to our body much earlier than we could ever detect them today. And so I also think what you'll get is cloning of yourself will happen. And so if you're sick one day, you send your clone into the office or whatever it is. If you're 
unfortunately have a, a terminal disease, your clone comes right out at your age and keeps on going. So I think we're going to have like a warehouse full of, of you and you're just going to be like, which one's going out today? Yeah, I do think that's in the future. I, I don't know if we're going to get there in 100 years, but there are a lot of people who are very thoughtful about these kinds of things who believe that we have our brain and that is where our identity is housed, but the physical form of our body, which today is basically a meat sack, is going to be replaced by something synthetic, whether it's silicon or something, but our brain, our, the software of our body is going to live on. Did you say meat sack? What is our body, but basically a meat sack? Meat sack? It's like what all the girls started using in the late 70s, a less sports sack. Yeah, it's just like less sports sack, except rather than containing your personal items, it contains your vital organs. Well, guess like what? That. Some of those less sports sacks were as important to a young girl in 1978. We are so close to parachute pants aren't we? <laughs> Kurt, think about it. The software of our system is our brain, right? The hardware or wetware is our body. There's no reason to believe long-term that the software, our brain, can't be replicated outside of our body and so, put into a different form that is different than the human body. Here's another sad thing about the future. I wasn't suggesting a sad thing. I was talking about I people was. being able to live much longer than they can live. Today. I get that. I was moving on because I thought you had a good one, which is, I think travel will diminish because travel will become virtual. And I think actually people will become more hermetic because they're not going to need to go out anywhere and everything's going to be delivered to them via drone, via whatever, just like it's starting to be now. There's going to be no need to leave your abode. Everything will be delivered to you. If you want to go on vacation, you're going to see a hologram of Niagara Falls. You're going to see a wonderful 3D aspect of the Sistine Chapel. You don't need to go. And that's sad. You know that abode is an anagram for Adobe? Do you know Adobe like the technology or Adobe like what the Native Americans used in New Mexico? Aren't they spelled the same? Yes. Then, then you choose or both. You're correct that it is easy to see a future of immersive environments with virtual reality. And if you just look at some of the screens that are up in Times Square now, which are Flat screen after flat screen, creating these massive images. Imagine that on all four walls of a space and with the virtual reality goggles. The good news is you're going to be able to experience a lot of things that you might not otherwise be able to. So that but the con is that may not be a replacement for seeing it for real. And let me take you one step further of what happens with that as I'm going down this rabbit hole. So that happens. You become less social as a person because you're doing everything yourself virtually and you're doing it by pressing a button, pressing a button or whatever it is, because it is a push button society. And therefore, you're becoming more and more recluse. So what makes humans human is social interaction. It is what happens between two people. And that will go away. And boy, am I scared for society. So we're going to start the revolution right now. And I'm going to throw this computer out the window. It's like I'm network. As hell, and I'm and not going to take, take it, it anymore. anymore. We're referring to a movie called Network, which I think was 1976. Who was the lead actor? Peter Finch. His name was Peter Finch. And he was nominated posthumously for the Best Actor Academy Award. You know who he was up against? I only know one other 
nominee, and that was Sylvester Stallone for Rocky. Rocky. And people believe, it's hard to imagine this now, considering what Sylvester Stallone turned into with Rocky Eleven and Rambo and everything else. But people believe that Sylvester Stallone would have won Best Actor for Rocky had Peter Finch not died and gotten the sentimental vote. Can you well, imagine Sylvester Stallone, Best Actor, Academy Award winner? Hey, there's been others that you are our biggest surprise or bigger Rocky was an amazing movie. It was a great movie. It won, movie. it won movie of the year. When actually I went to see it, someone said we're going to see Rocky. And the only Rocky I knew was the Rockford Files and Jim Garner's father was Rocky. And I thought we're going to see something about a grandfather? How about Rocky and Bullwinkle, for God's sake, Kurt? I didn't think I was going to see that. So, Kurt, you were making a point about how one of the great ironies of technology, which yes. many of which make it easier for us to connect with one another are actually quite isolating because you can navigate the world without leaving your, as you said, your abode. I might say apartment or home. Domicile is what I would say. Without leaving your domicile, without leaving your nest. And it is a concern because I agree with you. Fundamentally, humans are social beings. Now, it's not all bad, though. So with Zoom and things of that nature, grandparents can see grandchildren and have conversations on a regular basis. If okay. the parents live far away, they can have a much richer relationship. Yeah. Because distance, basically distance has collapsed. Yeah. Not the same thing as being with your nope. grandparent. It's not a substitute, but you can have nope. a lot more contact, Kurt, with your grandchild or grandparent because of these technologies. But it's more curated. It's more synthetic. It's less authentic. And if you it's think not- about it, What's happening right now? Where did people used to for thousands of years go for really what's going on? And you heard not only politics, you heard what was happening with your neighbors. You heard everything. It was either the pub, as we heard in one of our previous episodes, the word gossip was people would tell you to go sip at a place or a supermarket. Now people don't go to supermarkets because they go like this on your computer and they get it delivered by themselves. I know, but that's not directly responsive to the fact that some of these technologies like video conference allow you to have more contact with other people, loved ones that you might otherwise be able to. I don't want you to throw the baby out with the bathroom. I I think I'm becoming a Luddite. Nothing's all good or all bad, Kurt. Nothing in this context is all good. You are a technophobe who is concerned about the technological impact on the future. You are much more likely to be a Flintstones fan, and I am much more likely to be a Jetsons fan. Actually, I'm a human through and through. I believe in the ups, the downs, the strengths, and the foibles of the human being. I don't want to shock you, Kurt, but I too am a human. I just see things differently than you. But it sounds like you're one of these guys that's going from human to like perfectionism, which there's no personality difference. There's nothing. There's a whole society of just we're all the same. You might as well be drinking vodka martinis. Yes, because that is a completely reasonable extrapolation of my comment that grandparents and grandchildren can have more contact than they Direct could Direct line, John. Basically, I, you go from there to I want a complete society of identical people with no differentiation who have no real human contact. Well argued, Kurt, because that makes sense. It's a direct line. And don't forget, you're all drinking vodka martinis. 
I don't know if this is measured or not, but I think most futuristic creative endeavors seem to take a more dystopian view of the future. So there's actually something weird in the Jetsons, and I was just re-watching some episodes. Every one of the houses and buildings are on stilts. You never see the ground. Is that because they presaged global warming or climate control, and therefore the earth was actually scarred and it was too hot to be on? So I want you to know that climate control is something you have in your home or car. Climate (laughs) Climate change change. is what I think you meant. Maybe they were prescient about climate control, though I never saw that in an episode. So basically, the Jetsons takes place in space. That's why everything is up there. They never take a position about why mankind is living in space. They're not saying there's going to be something apocalyptic or we're going to destroy the planet. And they're not saying that man's imagination has allowed us to expand the human footprint into space. So it's not a political statement on their part at all. But they are in space, Kurt. So, John, I just want to be clear. I embrace all this technology. And I think video calling is great that they talked about. I think that they did 3D printing on the Jetsons we talked about. I think they have had drones on that. All that is terrific. What I am saying is adjunct to and not uh, ramrodding over the human condition and human connection. Well, I think humans have a risk of being isolated in ways that ultimately undermine satisfaction. There will be a marriage between a robot and a human, just like that movie, Her. There will be one. And I don't know what they're going to, when they procreate, what's going to come out. If technology and the Jetsons, if everything they're doing enhances human connection, yay. If it causes for more isolation, boo. I don't know what's going to happen either. But if people who are separated by distance can ultimately interact on a more regular basis in a way that feels three-dimensional because of the advances of technology, if we can reduce the scourge of terrible disease and suffering because of advances in biology and science and all of that kind of stuff. John, what's the strongest weapon, technology, tool, most powerful in the world? The human hug. And you need hugs. What if you're living in California and I'm in the New York area and there's some sort of virtual reality system that allows us to hug and actually feel like it's a hug? What then? Will you hug me, Kurt, in the future? Of course. Okay. So you drivelers out there, I would like you to go to our website or our Twitter account or Instagram or Facebook and give us your thoughts. Give us two inventions that will be in the future, two technologies 60, 100 years from now that we'll be using every day. So you realize that if it weren't for technology, we couldn't have a podcast. We couldn't record this podcast in separate physical places. You couldn't send our listeners or ask our listeners to go to Instagram or Twitter or our website. So it does enhance our capability. Absolutely. It doesn't mean it doesn't come at a cost. I'm not a Luddite. You're not a Luddite. The more you say that, the more I think that you might be a Luddite. <laughs> Thou doth protest too much. Which Shakespearean play was that? Uh, it was probably Richard II. Dick Two. Yeah. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> goodbye, everyone. We look forward to seeing you next week on another episode of Smart Dribble. This is Kurt Schneider signing off with... This is John Ellenthal. We hope your week is filled with Smart Dribble. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye.